0: Traditionally, lower limb prostheses consist of passive components, which provide a fraction of the push-off power of the anatomical ankle-foot complex during gait. In individuals with transtibial amputation, the use of passive prosthetic components may cause gait deviations and compensatory mechanisms, which could contribute to musculoskeletal pain and other secondary health conditions. Studies have reported significant unloading of the sound limb and knee joint with a powered prosthetic ankle foot during walking. However, despite the promising biomechanical evidence on unloading, no study has yet investigated the impact of a powered prosthetic ankle foot on musculoskeletal pain. Hi everyone, I'd like to welcome you to episode 26 of ONP Research Insights, presented by the American Academy of Orthodox and Prosthodox. I'm Dr. Steve Gard, Editor-in-Chief for the Journal of Prosthetics and Orthotics. My guest today is Mr. Corey Cassiola, MS-CPO. Mr. Cassiola is a certified prosthetist orthodist for Boston Orthotics and Prosthetics. He started working in the O&P field as a research assistant in the University of Delaware Bader Lab while obtaining his Bachelor of Mechanical Engineering degree at the University of Delaware. Mr. Cassiola then attended Baylor College of Medicine to obtain his Master of Science at o where he started performing research on powered ankle foot components and the relationship to pain. Today, we will be discussing a recent article that Mr. Cassiola published in JPO entitled Impact of a Powered Prosthetic Ankle Foot Component on Musculoskeletal Pain in Individuals with Transtibial Amputation. A Real-World Cross-Sectional Study with Concurrent and Recalled Pain and Functional Ratings. Welcome to the podcast, Corey.
1: Hello. Thank you for having me, Dr. Gard.
0: You've got a really interesting paper here. I am personally interested in powered prosthetic foot ankle components. And so I like what you had to say here. So let's jump right into this. What was the motivation for this particular study? Yeah,
1: so the motivation for uh, our study came before I actually joined the project. Dr. Cannenberg and his team at Ottobock were doing some preliminary research and getting feedback from users of the powered prosthetic ankle foot components that they were actually having less sound side knee and low back pain since they've been using their our prosthetic ankle foot.
0: Interesting. So why does this topic interest you? So the topic interests me
1: actually when we first started talking about the project, me and Dr. Kandenberg, because we discussed the potential of learning, not just does the power prosthetic ankle foot decrease pain, but also why would that be? And I thought that's something that could impact our field, not just for a power prosthetic ankle foot or just prosthetic components even, but just to understand gait better and understand what aspects of gait or what changes in gait could affect a person's pain. So what was the purpose of your study? So the purpose of this study was to explore and hopefully determine, does the use of a powered prosthetic ankle foot decrease a user's sound side knee, amputated side knee, and or low back pain, as well as does it increase their daily function related to their pain?
0: And so what were your hypotheses or expectations for this study?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I think due to the initial feedback that Dr. Kandenberg and his team had before we started the project, I was expecting and believed we would see a significant decrease in the sound side knee, amputated side knee, and low back pain. And also I thought we'd probably see an increase in user's daily function related to their pain and whether it limits their function or not.
0: I know that you included transtibial prosthesis users in your study, but what were the specific inclusion-exclusion criteria?
1: Yeah, our subjects had to be 18 years or older. They had to have a unilateral transtibial amputation because we wanted to study the effects on both the amputated side and the sound side knee. And then maybe not most importantly, but obviously very important, they had to have experience with a typical passive foot and a powered prosthetic ankle foot.
0: And how did you go about collecting data for
1: your study? So we sent out a IRB approved survey via Qualtrics to a list of users in the database that Autobach had who had previously used a powered prosthetic ankle foot component.
0: And what information did you collect using the survey?
1: So we started off with the first question was just a consent question to participate, of course. Then we asked, limited basic demographic questions similar to what you would ask when meeting a patient for an evaluation and also about their prosthetic history, including which foot they were currently using and when they stopped using their last foot. And then we went into a series of outcome measures and each subject was asked to answer the outcome measures for their previous foot and their current foot. The outcome measures we used were the socket comfort score. We used a numerical pain rating score on a scale of 0 to 10, with 10 being the worst pain. And we asked that at each body segment, so both knees and the lower back. And then we asked the knee injury and osteoarthritis outcome score, uh, the ADL subsection, and the Oswestry disability index for low back pain.
0: Now, you noted in your method section that you adjusted for recall bias in the participants' responses. Would you please comment on this modification? Of course. So
1: we did some more background research to look into, is there a trend for when a person is recalling pain? And we discovered that people usually overrate their pain and also their function by about 10% based on the scale of your outcome measure.
0: And then how did you go about analyzing the data that you collected?
1: Yes. So we analyzed data in a few different ways. So I'll try to be concise and keep this as clear as I can. But first we divided our subjects into two groups. So we had our current powered ankle foot users and our current passive foot users. And due to the distribution of the data, we treated our data as ordinal and looked at the median, interquartile ranges, maximum and minimum values. And for more detail on that, I would definitely have to defer to my... Uh, co-authors who know a little bit more about the statistics, but we also then looked at the socket comfort score across both feet in each group. We looked at our group results, so we compared the original and the 10% adjusted numerical pain rating scores at each body segment across the two groups and across each foot. And then we also broke it down into individual subject data and compare the percentage of subjects who had a moderate or severe pain, which the literature shows is a score of higher than three, so greater than or equal to four. And then also the percent of subjects who had that moderate to severe pain, how many of them saw an improvement of what is considered a much better improvement, so two-point change on the numerical pain rating scale when they switched feet? And then lastly, Again, we kept our subjects in groups, and we looked at the original and 10% adjusted knee injury and osteoarthritis outcome score, ADL subsection, and the Oswestry Disability Index for low back pain.
0: Very nice. And then how many participants did you include in your study? So we had a total of 57 subjects, 41 of which were in
1: our current powered ankle foot user group.
0: That's a nice number of subjects for a study like this. What were the demographics of your participants?
1: So our subjects had an average age of 53 and a half years old, plus or minus 13 years of age. They all had, or the average of their amputation was about 13 years ago, plus or minus 12 years. And actually we had 75%, so a large majority of our subjects, the cause of their amputation was actually trauma.
0: So what were some of the primary findings of your investigation?
1: Yeah, so in the powered ankle prosthetic foot group, we saw a significant decrease with or without the recall adjustment for the recalled passive foot in pain across all three body segments when the subjects used their powered ankle foot prosthesis. Then, in the passive user group, we saw a decrease or no change in the median pain with the original scores across all three body segments when using their powered ankle foot. And after the 10% recall bias for that powered ankle foot scores, we saw a decrease in pain across all three segments. Now, for this group, we only saw a significant difference for the adjusted sound side knee pain but all the trends were either equal or in favor of the powered prosthetic foot. And then lastly, for the individual subject data, we saw a significant decrease in the number of subjects or percentage of subjects who experienced a moderate to severe pain across all three body regions or at each body region individually when they use their powered prosthetic ankle foot. And then although we didn't test for significance, There was a higher percent of subjects whose pain decreased by that value of 2, so that much better change when they switched from the passive foot to their powered ankle foot.
0: In the discussion section of your paper, I like how you and your colleagues discuss different potential mechanisms that may contribute to reduce pain in the sound leg knee, the amputated limb knee, and the lower back with the use of a powered prosthetic foot ankle component. Would you please highlight some of these mechanisms for our audience here today? Of course.
1: I'll break it down by body segment. So we'll first start with the sound side of knee. From the literature, we know that our peak knee external adduction moment has been associated with knee osteoarthritis and insufficient work from the trailing limb, which in our case is the amputated side limb, leads to the leading limb colliding with the ground at a faster and more downward directed speed. Then the literature shows us that the powered prosthetic ankle foot can actually generate 70% greater push off than the passive prosthetic feet on the market and also equal to or even greater than that of the normal human ankle foot complex. It also shows that at greater speeds, the powered prosthetic ankle foot can decrease the peak knee external adduction moment on the sound side knee which we know is associated with osteoarthritis from earlier, based on the differences in the mechanics um, that the powered prosthetic ankle foot has versus a passive foot, we can assume that those mechanisms are what is leading to this potential decrease in the sound side knee pain. Then for the amputated side knee, the literature tells us that a prosthetic foot with an ankle joint can significantly reduce the posterior displacement of the center of pressure and stance and result in smoother weight transfers with unloading of the residual knee. The powered prosthetic ankle feet that were studied in this project have 22 degrees of range of motion and also a microprocessor unit and that can slow the forward shank rotation speed while negotiating downward slopes specifically, which would lead to a smoother weight transfer. So again, we can make that assumption that the range of motion that these feet provide and allowing for a smoother transition or weight transfer could decrease the residual side knee pain. Lastly, we'll discuss the lower back. So the literature tells us that a decrease in force and moment generation on the prosthetic side leads to proximal muscles needing to compensate further. And that the increase in push-off power that a typical passive, But energy storage and response foot provides compared to a Satch foot allows for better force dissipation and a reduction in the proximal muscles needing to compensate as much. Since we know that a powered ankle foot prosthesis can generate 70% more push-off power than a typical passive foot, we can again make that assumption that the proximal muscles will need to compensate less because we'll be getting more forces and moment generation from the amputated side with a powered foot.
0: Very nice. Like I said, I appreciated you and your co-authors putting those explanations in the discussion section. I think it helps increase understanding about how these mechanisms work and decrease pain ultimately. JPL provides a clinical relevant statement as part of the abstract so readers can quickly see how the article relates to clinical practice. Now, in your clinical relevant statement, you indicated that providing the right patient with a powered ankle foot has the potential to decrease the individual's pain. I'm curious, have you identified specific patient characteristics that would indicate whether someone in particular would benefit from a powered prosthetic ankle foot component in this way?
1: Of course. So, one thing that we learned from our survey that I haven't talked about yet was why did our current passive foot users stop using their powered prosthetic ankle foot? So, we did ask this question in our survey, and we found out that the three main reasons were the weight of the powered prosthetic foot, the fact that the patient has to charge it, and that it's not as waterproof, of course, as just a passive foot because it has the power unit and the microprocessor unit. I think, first and foremost, Any patient who would potentially use a power prosthetic ankle foot needs to know these are common complaints and things that they will maybe deal with when they get this foot. But I think there's also more to it. And I just want to add that these thoughts are mine and do not necessarily reflect the thoughts of my co-authors or anywhere else involved in the project. But I believe that a good candidate for a power prosthetic ankle foot is someone who is an active walker, but not too active in looking to do exercises and running in this foot. Some of the data in the literature shows that peak knee external adduction moment we talked about earlier, um, that's associated with osteoarthritis. We see the decrease really when patients are walking at faster speeds. So the true benefit that you'll get from the powered prosthetic ankle foot most likely is happening when you walk a little bit faster because you're getting more of the benefit so i think an active walker would be a good candidate to really get that benefit i also think of course though if you have a patient who you're working with them and no matter what you do no matter what alignment changes you make they still have back pain or they have knee pain it's a good option to explore because it appears to give us enough benefit and enough differences and our data showed that enough Of our subjects were saying that they did have a decrease in pain when they switched to it.
0: Thank you for that response, but that that begs another question in my mind, and that is if somebody comes in with knee pain or low back pain and they're currently wearing a passive prosthetic foot ankle component and they're transitioning to a power foot ankle component, how long does it typically take before they're going to see an effect on their knee pain or low back pain?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question. I don't think we have any exact data on that. What we do have is I know we asked our subjects, specifically the ones who reverted back to their current passive foot. How long ago did they back to their passive foot? And on average, it was about 14 months plus or minus actually 11 months, but on average, it was 14 months or so. So I think based on that information, even though we did not dive into any data on that, you could maybe expect it to take about a year to see a significant difference. I would, and this is maybe just a little bit of a educated guess that it would actually take a little bit less than that, but I think a full year would be almost what you'd want to set the expectation with your patient for.
0: Okay, thank you for that response. A prosthetic shouldn't be too concerned if the person doesn't notice a reduction in pain right away or within the first few weeks.
1: Yeah, I think it would be fair to assume it would take more than a few weeks or one or two visits with the patient for the pain to start to go away. But it may also depend on how severe was their pain. If they were, of course, at that moderate to severe pain level of above four or above three equal to uh, four or greater, It may not take them very long if they're only at that four to get to where the pain doesn't bother them as much, but if they're up at a seven or nine every day with their knee pain, it may take a while to decrease that pain, and unfortunately, the foot may not get them all the way to the zero, but hopefully, we can at least decrease that pain a little bit.
0: I would agree. Thank you for their response. Were there any unanticipated surprises in your findings, and if so, can you explain them? Yeah, I think the
1: biggest surprise was maybe more of a personal surprise for myself, and it was how prevalent moderate to severe pain in either the sound side, amputated side knee or lower back is in our unilateral transtimial population. Now this may have been because I was very green in the field when I started the project. And now the more I think about it and the more I discuss this with colleagues, I do think it makes sense that our unilateral transtibial population has more pain in these body segments, but at the time, I don't think I really was expecting to see that or was thinking about that as much.
0: Did you encounter any notable problems in the course of your study? And if so, what would you have done differently?
1: Yeah, I think one of our biggest problems was probably time which I don't think there was much we could have done differently. The project did start as a master's thesis project for myself. So we were on a little bit of a time constraint with why we were getting data and having to move through the process. But the other problem that I think we addressed well, but potentially still leave some question in the air is that half of our data is being recorded retrospectively or as recalled data because our patients or our subjects are wearing their current foot, and then having to think back about pain for their previous foot. And like I said, I do think we address that well with our recall bias adjustments. And I do think that is a good representation of how we discuss pain with our patients clinically. I think it's rare that we ask about pain one day, and then a few weeks later at a follow-up we ask about pain again and we're comparing what they said a few weeks ago to now i feel like it's a lot more when they come in and they're like oh i've been in pain for the past week or so we ask about oh how much pain were you in or how much pain have you been in and then we ask about how the adjustment we made or the change we made for them has either improved their pain or did it stay the same so i think often pain is retrospective but i still think It's hard not to wonder how the data would maybe change if we weren't using retrospective data. We were able to compare the pain right after wearing the foot and then after a transition period and using the new foot, compare pain again.
0: So what are the main clinical takeaways of your study? I think the main clinical
1: takeaway is that individuals who've experienced a unilateral trans-tibial amputation may experience significant and clinically meaningful relief of their sound side knee, amputated side knee, and low back pain with the use of a powered ankle foot prosthesis.
0: And then I think you've already touched on this a little bit, Flory, but do you have any recommendations for future research directions based on your work?
1: Yeah. So I think there's still definitely a lot to learn about pain and its relation to prosthetic components and also just gait in general. So I think the first thing, like I said, would be to potentially make it so that we're studying concurrent data against itself instead of retrospective versus concurrent data. But I also think it'd be really interesting to have a gate analysis portion of the study so that we can really dive into those patients that saw a difference in pain or a decrease in pain or an improvement. How did their gait change when we switched feet? Are those patients having a specific change that other patients are not, or other subjects are not when we're studying ones that are not seeing as much pain relief, that their gait not change as much. So I think it'd be really cool to dive into that. And like I said, I think it would help not just for the powered ankle foot components or even just prosthetic feet in general, but I think that could be used across the entire orthotics and prosthetics field, knowing what are we looking to achieve in gait that can also help decrease pain.
0: Great suggestions, Corey. And then finally, I'd like to wrap up my interview with this question. Would you like to acknowledge any funding you received to conduct this study?
1: Yes. Uh, I would like to thank Ottobach for their support and funding of the project. And then I'd also like to thank, it was not funding necessarily, but I would like to thank the Baylor College of Medicine O&P program, specifically the professors that were there when I was working on my master's thesis that helped me push this project to where it is now.
0: Very nice. Thank you for that information, Corey. That's really interesting work that you conducted. Thank you. We've come to the end of our podcast, so I'd like to thank Mr. Cassiola for sharing his insights and discussing his research with us today. I'd like to remind everyone that if you would like additional information on this project, you can access the full article about this study in the Journal of Prosthetics and Orthotics. Thank you again for joining us for this episode of O&P Research Insights, presented by the American Academy of Orthodox and Process. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Please plan to join us again next month for the Academy's OP Research Insights podcast, when we'll be hosting another author and discussing their recent JPO article. And don't forget to check out the Academy's other podcasts for ONP professionals. ONP Clinical Insiders, a podcast created for conversations on specific areas of clinical care, and the award-winning ONP Rising, a podcast created for emerging professionals in our industry.